Good morning. Let me get set up here. We are in a new book this morning, uh, Nehemiah. And so uh, I'll give you a moment to find it. If you hit, if you want to go to the middle of your Bible and hit Psalms, usually go backward. What? Well, backward. Um, if you're in like First Kings, First Chronicles, go toward the middle. Hopefully, you'll find it. You can pass it pretty quick. Um, we're going to start Nehemiah this morning. Uh, through about the end of the year. Um, but let me pray for our time, and, uh, and I'll read the text, and we'll get going. Uh, Lord, um, I pray that that song would just ring in our hearts, uh, that we would feel uh, that deep longing that likely Nehemiah felt, um, but that ultimately we would know that there's hope because Emmanuel did come. Um, God, settle our hearts. Help us to approach your word with humility uh, and the willingness to be shaped by it. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do that this morning. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, Nehemiah 1. Uh, if you're still looking for a Bible, there should be Bibles around uh, under the seats. Um, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani one of my brothers came with certain men from Judah and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept. This is the word of the Lord. I wonder what made Nehemiah weep. I mean, obviously it was bad news, but what made him sit down and weep? And probably not sit, right? It was probably a hunch and a weeping. And maybe even think back to the last time you wept. When was the last time you, that you just wept? Maybe it was a medical diagnosis. Maybe it was hearing that someone you loved wasn't going to be around much longer. Maybe it's someone you loved said something that hurt really deeply or maybe you heard from someone you love that they didn't love you as much as you thought they should have or that they did maybe it was some dream of yours that you saw the door to that slam shut Um, something you didn't get that you'd been longing for 
Or, or maybe life was just so overwhelming and there were so many things that seemed hopeless that it just snapped you and you wept. What made Nehemiah snap? What was it really that, that broke him, that made him weep? First, I think we need to ask, who is Nehemiah, right? And if we look through the text, um, we'll get to know him. We'll get to know this book. Uh, but we want to know who is Nehemiah, and you can say, okay, the son of Hakaliah. What, what does that mean? <laughs> Not that much. Um, it seems that Nehemiah wrote this account. But we don't know a lot about him here at the beginning. And so rather than a history lesson, I'm going to kind of, we're going to learn about him as we go just a little bit later, probably on the same page that you're on. It says, now I was the cupbearer to the king right at the end of the first chapter. And so that means he was the guy who held the king's cup. Uh, He would have been in close proximity with the king in the king's court someone who had access to the king almost at all times, and it was a well-regarded position. But we also know that Nehemiah was a Jew, and so what is a Jew doing serving a king that later we see that it's not just any king, it's a Persian king? What is a Jew doing serving a Persian king? And so by that king... King Artaxerxes, you see in chapter two, we can know that he was around, that he started his reign about 464. And so 20 years in, the general timeline of of when this is happening is about 444, 445 BC. Over 100 years since Jerusalem was destroyed. And that gives us even more clue as to who Nehemiah was, why did this happen? Is in the 20th year, he was in, still verse one, in the Susa, the citadel, the capital city where the king was. And so to catch everyone up, on their kind of Old Testament history, here is why Nehemiah would have been in Susa. In 2 Kings verse 20, uh, 17 and 18, and then 2 Kings 25, 1 through 12, it tells what Nehemiah was doing there. It says, behold, this is a prophecy of what will come. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house, that would be, Judah, Jerusalem, and that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away. They shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And in the ninth year, in the tenth month of the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And they built siege works all around it so that this city was besieged till the 11th year of King Zedekiah. 
On the ninth day of the fourth month, a famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then a breach was made in the city and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls by the king's garden and the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, were around the city and they went in the direction of Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho and all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah and they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. In the fifth month of the seventh day of the month, that was in the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, serving a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down and all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem and the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon together with the rest of the multitude, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard carried into exile. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. That's important context because that is the reality that Nehemiah is living in right now. He was in Susa because the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, carried them off, and then the Persian Empire came and conquered the Babylonians. Nehemiah has never known Jerusalem. He's never seen a temple where the presence of the Lord would dwell. He is just a Jew, a minority, living in a foreign culture, serving a foreign king, maybe even questioning whether or not some of these stories are are just mere fairy tales and that the God he serves is weak and defeatable. That's certainly how it must have felt living in a foreign country knowing that God's presence was very far away from him in a city and in a temple that he had never known. He had just heard of its former glory but all he knew is that it was destroyed. But then, verse two, Hanani, one of my brothers. Now, this may have been Nehemiah's actual brother or it may have just been like one of my bros. You can tell I'm from the streets because of how I pulled that off, right? Uh, (laughs) Says, came with certain men from Judah in verse two. Now, depending on how well you know your Old Testament, that word, Judah, it is not just an identifying mark. You see, if there are men from Judah, that means someone is still around of the part of the people where God's king will come from. The line of Judah where was the Messiah was going to come from. So even in the midst of Jerusalem being destroyed, Nehemiah wants us to see that Judah 
It's not just, and some guys came. It's men from Judah came. In the midst of the rubble and destruction, there's still Judah. There are still men of Judah. And we don't need to skip past that. But Nehemiah asked about three things, which are really just two things, which really is just one thing. He asks in verse two, he says, concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, which was either the Jews who had escaped Babylonian captivity and gone back to Jerusalem or who had been left there, like we just read in Kings. He's asking about God's people. Tell me about God's people. What is the news of God's people? And then he asks about Jerusalem. And what about God's place, the city of God, where he dwells, the hope for all the nations, the city of David. What about Jerusalem? Asking about God's people and God's place, but really that one question he's asking is about God's presence. Because God's people and God's place are nothing without the presence of the Lord, without God dwelling with them. It doesn't matter. That's their whole identity. It has been since the very, very beginning, both literally and eternally. Deuteronomy is filled with God dwelling with his people. Even right in the beginning of Exodus, it's, I need to take my people out of slavery so that they can worship me in the wilderness. I will be their God and they will be my people and God didn't choose them because they were great in number or anything special but because of his love for them. Just listen to all the dwells. All through Deuteronomy, if you hear in one of your cities which the Lord your God is giving you to dwell there, Every city they went to, God was giving it so that they would dwell before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock that you may learn to fear the Lord. You shall offer the Passover sacrifices to the Lord from the flock or the herd at the place the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell in it. There you shall offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening at sunset at the time you came out of Egypt. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who's within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow who are among you at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. God's name, his presence, his dwelling was intimately linked with God's people. And so Nehemiah wanted to know He had heard that there were Jews going back. He wanted to find out what what was of the people, what was of the place. Nehemiah probably had more freedom than most, but all he had was just reports that might come in. But so there's some more context. In Deuteronomy 28, if you 
want to learn about the Old Testament, if you ever read the Old Testament, I mean any part of it, and you say, what is going on? It's because you don't know Deuteronomy 28 and 29 well enough. That's it. It's that simple. Maybe I'm being a little hyperbolic, but not, not much. So like any of the prophets, any of the weird stuff, if you go, I don't know what the heck is going on, just turn back to Deuteronomy 28. And likely you will get a sense of what's happening. And it was just lining out the covenant, lining out the blessings and curses. God establishes his covenant with Israel. And here's what he says. He says, if you obey the voice of the Lord, I, God, I will set you high above all the nations. Blessed shall, be you in the, blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb. The Lord will cause your enemies to be defeated. The Lord will establish you. All the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall not borrow, but you will lend. Following the Lord and worshiping him all these blessings would come to the people. But if they didn't, if they turned away from the Lord, this is the reality. And Nehemiah knew this. Here is what he would be walking into. Here's what the people would be facing. Deuteronomy 28, toward the end, it says, and the Lord, if you turn away from my commandments, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations, you shall find no respite. There shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day, you shall be in dread, having no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening, and at the evening you shall say, if only it were morning, because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sights that your eyes shall see. And then Deuteronomy 29, 24. After this will take place. It says, all the nations will say, why has the Lord done this? To this land, what caused the heat of his great anger? Then the people will say, it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt and went and served other gods and worshiped them, gods whom they have not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in this book, and the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land as they are this day. What of the exiles? What of Jerusalem? Men of Judah what is going on far, far away where the presence of the Lord was? And verse three, they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down 
and its gates are destroyed by fire. God's people and God's place were in ruin. It did not seem like the presence of the Lord was with them. Trouble and shame, that word trouble is is just evil, all types of evil. And shame, probably even worse. So often I've heard that guilt is feeling bad about what you may or may not have done and shame is feeling bad about who you are. Guilt, maybe good, bad, I mean, that's complicated, right? I just kind of caught myself. I don't wanna give any super sweeping statements, but shame, God does not want us to feel shame. Jesus took on our shame at the cross. Feeling bad about what you've done, that can be justifiably used. That can be conviction of the Holy Spirit. Not finding any worth in yourself is ignoring the image of God in you. Whether you're a Christian or not, feeling bad about simply who you are is ignoring the very image that God has put on every single person. Shame was what caused Adam and Eve in their sin to feel wrong about themselves, about who they were, and they hid from God. They covered themselves. They saw their nakedness, felt shame, and tried to hide. Rather than turning to God, they tried to hide. They were embarrassed to even bring themselves to God. And the shame that would come from the God who gives your identity as an entire people group was nowhere. Carrying the mocking voices of all the surrounding nations, being a byword, the very thing, the presence of the Lord, God's name dwelling with his people was not with his people and they had nothing. It's hard for us to get this. One, because most of us are white and we don't have this collective corporate culture. But two, in America, we, it's so individualized. Nehemiah and all the people of Israel were missing the very thing that defined them as a people, that gave them any value at all was that they served Yahweh. They were people of the true living God and it seemed like he was gone. The place where his presence dwelled, where he was with them was destroyed and Nehemiah had heard that some may have gone back to start rebuilding the city. And if we look back at Ezra, that's what we'll find. And it says in one part, they started to rebuild the city and the wall and then other people surrounding them, other nations, other governors of provinces went to the king and said, we can't let them do that. And they destroyed it by force. A city without a wall is is just ready for the taking. It's not safe People cannot dwell there. Any kind of, I mean, not just plunder, but any wealth at all that you would gather is just open for the taking. 
So without a wall, there couldn't be a people and there couldn't be a place. And Nehemiah had heard, maybe, maybe there was some progress, but there was nothing. It is burned down and it is destroyed by fire again, just like over a hundred years ago when the presence of God seemed to go away. And then we come to verse four, Nehemiah's response. He writes, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept. The absence of God's presence is a life-shattering tragedy. The absence of God's presence is a life-shattering tragedy. That is why Nehemiah wept. He knew that God was not with them. That's what he felt. That's why he responded that way. That's why his heart broke. Because the one glimpse of hope that he maybe heard that something was going on, it was devastatingly untrue. God's people and God's place were in ruin still and Nehemiah was without any hope because the presence of God was not near or at least it felt that way but I wonder if it really matters to us like I've asked myself a hundred times would I have wept would I have heard that God's presence is away? And this is even another group of people. It has much bigger implications, but even in my own life, if I felt the absence of the presence of God, would I weep? Would that break me? If someone noticed the presence of God lacking in my life, would it break my heart? And I think we can ask each other that question. Would the absence of the presence of God in other people's lives bring us to tears? Even, even in this room, would that make us sit down and weep? And even it says later, Nehemiah mourned for days and fasted and prayed before God. That was his reaction to hearing about the absence of the presence of the Lord. Would it make any difference in our lives if the presence of the Lord left or came? Or do we just take the presence of God for granted so much that if it were to disappear, nobody would be able to notice in our lives? Would it change our daily rhythms at all? I think the trouble is that we all slide that direction. We, we all get used to the presence of God in our lives, in this church. Even, even in this country, I think, is part of our, our history. Is we're so used to hearing about it, noticing it, that if it, 
if it came or went, maybe we wouldn't notice, but even if we could go get it, even if we could try to find it, right? There's no Jerusalem for us to go to. I mean, that, that temple has been destroyed many times. Even if we knew where it was, could, how would we access it? Like if, we, if you lost God's presence, we're not like Nehemiah. We can't just go back. And I mean, if you have never read the book, it's a little bit of a spoiler. Like he goes back and they build the wall, right? I think many of us know that. That's, that's what will happen. That's what we're gonna see happen. But even at the end of it, it, it's not enough. Even if there was a place for all of us to just get in a plane, fly over to, get to Jerusalem, where the temple used to be, it wouldn't be enough. The problem is, is that God's presence was not with them. Even when they built the wall, it wasn't fully with them. We can't go grab it. We can't build buildings to keep it, to house it, to prevent it from getting away from us. We are helpless to retain the presence of God. That's why, they, that's why Nehemiah was in Susa in the first place. He and his people were powerless to retain the presence of God with them at all times. And God knew that. And that's why he sent Jesus a presence that could not be destroyed or taken away, a presence that wasn't determined by brick and mortar. The problem with Nehemiah, the reason why he wept is because God's presence was not with them and what he needed still even after the wall was built, was God with them, Emmanuel. That's why we sing that song. That's what they were longing for. This is a tragedy right now. That is what they're walking into. It is a hopeless situation. And that's the same situation that many of us are in and that all of us should feel is we cannot get the presence of God. And that is why Jesus came to be God with us. That's what Emmanuel means is God with us. It's one of the first descriptions that Matthew gives to Jesus. Because we are not a people We don't have a place without the presence of God, without God's name dwelling among us. All we have is our shame. And so all those curses that I read, in Galatians, Paul writes about Jesus taking on the curse, becoming the curse for us, fulfilling the law so that we don't have to, so that we can live with the presence of Jesus in us and through us at all times. And so we even have a better situation than what Nehemiah even found himself in, that we can have the presence of God dwelling in all of us 
that has nothing to do with what we build or tear down or how well we follow or don't, but that God came to us and grabbed us. And so the next few weeks, we're going to see how Nehemiah goes through that, all the troubles and things like that that he comes up with. And I hope that this wasn't too much of a history lesson, but placing ourselves in what Nehemiah was walking into, feeling the shame, the guilt, the hopelessness. I want us to sit there and feel that, to know why Nehemiah would have wept. But we have better than Nehemiah because we have God with us in Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, who came to us to give himself, the very presence of God to us. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for sending Jesus to us. The desperate presence that we long for, whether we know it or not, God, thank you. I pray that you would give us hearts that would weep over those who do not have your presence and that it would burden us and that we would remain aware of your presence and even go through the exercise to think if we did not have it, how devastating that would be. Lord, help us pray and long for others to walk in your presence and to have your presence ultimately pointing them to Jesus who came to give us yourself. And we pray in his name, amen.